and welcome to the Incomparable Podcast. This is Jason Snell. I am your host. What will the Incomparable Podcast be? Well, it's a good question, and I'm not sure we know the actual answer to that question. We're hoping you'll let us know. Here's the idea. The idea is to get a bunch of people I know together who are we'll admit, a little bit on the geeky side, and talk about things that you would probably call geek culture, um, sci-fi, comic books, fantasy maybe a little bit, um, across genres. So I think the way this is going to work is every week we're going to have a new genre. We're going to start this week with uh, books, uh, sci-fi novels in particular. Uh, Next week, move on to comic books. And then in forthcoming weeks, we'll throw in movies and TV and who knows what else. Maybe we'll do a special music edition and talk about geeky music or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's the premise. I've gathered several of my friends um, in the technology business, actually, but uh, where else to find geeky people? And uh, today we're going to get started with a discussion of sci-fi novels. The Incomparable, number one, August 2010. Joining me is Scott McNulty. Hello, Scott. Hello, Jason. It's good to have you here. You're a very well-read gentleman. I, I do know how to read. That's good. That's what well-read means, is he, you read well. Uh, Dan Morin, as well, from far away on the, in the eastern part of the United States. Hello, Dan. Hello, from far away. Are you well-read? Um, I, I'm told that I've been read like a book. Ah. Is that is that what that means? Well uh, read then? Yes, no? that's that is a second definition of what it means. And uh, from the the great Northwest, uh, Glenn Fleischman joins us. Oh. Hi, Glenn. That's right. From uh, the Ecotopia, Ecotropolis of Seattle. Yes, where the sun has finally come out. Oh wow! Well, that didn't happen in San Francisco today. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, and Glenn, are you well read? I am obsessively well read. All right. Or excessively. Excessively. You've you're overread perhaps. Overread. I read I read way too much Glenn. That's true. Well, yeah, that's right. I, I I've got there's so much Glenn out there to read. He he writes so much that we have to read. I'm writing an article as we speak. Wow. No. Well, that explains everything. Um so so the idea here in this in the early days of this podcast is uh to um Talk a little bit about uh, different areas of you could call it geek geek culture if you wanted to that that I don't know if there is as much talk about them as maybe there maybe there should be and one of my thoughts was you know we all seem to have read a lot of the same novels that have come out in the last year or two in the in the genres uh, you know in the sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that and I thought um, I personally don't know of a whole lot of podcasts that that talk about that stuff and I thought well. It's the it's the internet, right? If you don't see it, you or, or don't know of it, you can you know create one yourself and then discover there are a hundred that do it better than you. But we're not at that point yet, so we're in the create ourselves point. So I thought we would talk about um, about sci fi novels, basically, because I believe we all uh, read the sci fi. Do you do you read mostly the sci fi, or do you uh, or do you mix in other stuff with it? I wonder. I find myself reading a lot of nonfiction lately alongside like sci-fi. I haven't found it's funny. It's like fiction is sort of too much for me at the moment, but science fiction I can read that distance you a little further or, you know, interesting nonfiction that is, you know, uh, um, it's engrossing, but it doesn't get you as emotionally tied up. What about you, Dan? 
I'm I'm kind of omnivorous, but I would say it's largely focused on the science fiction and fantasy. I read a lot of mystery too, um, not as much as like my mother, who is like an exclusively like mystery reader. But I read a decent amount of mystery, and then you know if somebody else recommends a good book to me, I, I will almost certainly pick it up. But mostly sci-fi fantasy. What about you, Scott? Uh, I read a lot of sci-fi fantasy. I also uh, read like um, mysteries that are set in historical periods uh, because I like to read uh, very niche books. If yes. Only three people <laughs> will read them. I will be one of them. That, that's a great genre because you can actually read every single book that's published in it. It's true. All it's very five easy. of them. Exactly. So, you know, I, I read, I've been reading a lot of books uh, that involve detectives in uh like 1800s new york that's a good that's a good specific very you know linked in time and place i'm gonna start writing books like that because i know i have an audience now Uh, at least one there are four people who would be very happy as long as i can read it on my kindle i will buy it it's a little known fact that scott mcnulty has the largest collection of electronic book readers in the world it's true and yet and yet when we asked him if he had read um the City in the City, which is one of the books I want to talk about. His comment was that he bought it in hardcover <gasps> and hasn't read it. Scott, you've got like 15 ebook readers. Why did you buy something in hardcover? Or is well, it, are you just an equal opportunity formatting guy? I, I just, I just like to spend money. So if I oh. see something, I will buy it immediately. Guys, he's being a little disingenuous. As I know for a fact that he's got a table that's a bit wobbly in his kitchen. Uh, you know, and the you, Kindle just isn't thick enough. New novels well, you know, Anathem, are not the best Anathem buy was, for that. Anathem was too thick, and you know Scott Pilgrim was too thin, but The City in the City was just right. Just right. Anathem. Exactly. Anathem is the last um, book I bought by Neil Stevenson. Uh, that it was the last book I bought before I got my Kindle. And that that led to a very amusing situation where the Kindle arrived, and I went, "Wow, I I could have five Kindles, and it wouldn't be as heavy as Anathem." <laughs> um, although I, I somebody made the joke that Anathem is so so long that when you load it on your Kindle, it actually does get heavier. Oh. Just the, the that's kind of that's are... kind of the Neil Stevenson uh, modus operandi, though. You know, he basically specializes in books that are um, large enough that you could use them as like platform shoes. Murder weapons. Have you guys all uh, started to read stuff? I know Scott has, <laughs> and I have uh, on um, on ebook readers uh, versus versus paper. Glenn, and you Dan? know, I, I I did. I read a few things on my iPad, um, but I got to be honest. Um, the, it comes down to me for me. It comes down to me being cheap because I read so many books that, like, if I have to buy everything in ebook format, it quickly becomes a very expensive hobby and as this also the son of two librarians Yay. i am i am mandated that i must go to the library so i actually I, get most of my stuff in the library still i'm married to a librarian and i still buy ebooks what about you glenn this is the same problem i had i was spending an enormous amount of money on books a few years ago and i realized with two children and the same amount of space in the house that one thing had to go and i decided to keep the children and stop buying new books and get rid of some books so i you know ebooks are great but i'm doing library a lot and uh you know i am buying ebooks when i think the value is there when i think i'll read something again um i got the city in the city for instance since I, I got that out of the library, loved it to pieces, figured I'm going to read that at least one more time, which I have since then. And I bought a used copy of it in paperback, figuring that was the best format for that particular, you know, book's enjoyment. Now, before we talk about The City in the City, I, I, um, 
the reason I asked this question is that when we're talking about long books, I've discovered uh, this amusing fact, and Scott, you may be able to back me up on this, that you're reading an ebook and you really have no idea because there is no thickness of an ebook. And then I'll, I'll read for a while and I'll look down at my Kindle and it'll say like 8% and I'll go, oh God, how long is this book? I, I was in a bookstore um, the other week. Uh, when I was on vacation with my wife and we were just wandering around this town and we wandered into the bookstore and it's a weird experience to get an in- update to the Kindle app on your iPhone while you're in the bookstore. <laughs> I felt really kind of bad about that. But I, I picked up one of the George R. R. Martin um, Song of Ice and Fire books that, that mm-hmm. I've been I've been reading, the uh, Game of Thrones, and I forget which one it was. And it, it was enormous. And I was like, oh, yes, that's, that explains why the progress bar was so pokey as I was reading. Because I would read for a day and get like 5% increase and it's like you it slowly dawns on you that this is a really long book and but there's no way to know otherwise it's also weird because in things like in in ibooks on your ipad it gives you like a page count but the page count is not the same usually as if you were reading a paper version those aren't real pages right so like you know my mother said the same thing because she's just got an ipad and she was reading something on there and she's like i looked down and it said like 800 pages left and she was thinking oh my like that's And that page count changes depending on how big the font is. So uh, it irritates me no end that no that there hasn't been a definitive standard set that said we're taking the hardcover book for reference page numbers. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a question of enjoyment versus academic citation, but it really is hard to say. Well, I'm on page you know 733. It's like how bad are your eyes anyway? Exactly. Well, I'm we're, on location 35 dash 23. That's right. Oh yeah, I love Kindle those Kindle speak. locations. Jason, you gave me a horrifying vision of the future. Bookstores in the future will be demo stores. It'll be like Dell computer stores. You walk in there and they won't have anything to sell you. They'll have demo books. You know, it'll say, read me on the cover and you'll pick it up and look at it, get a sense of it. And then you'll download the book from an in-store network. Now, um, now, now, this is very dangerous. We've put four technology writers onto a podcast and asked them to talk about something that's not technology. So and we're oh, failing. Technology. <laughs> Strange how that is. So, The City and the City by, and I'm going to get this name wrong, it's it's China Meville. Is that right? I think Meville? Right. I think it might I think be Meville. Meville? I thought it was Meville. Meville. I'll take Meville. For it's an yes. It's it's ish. You know, it's, it's like that. First name is spelled China, right? And it's a, it's a gentleman. It's an, it's a, my wife was like, though, that's totally a girl. I'm like, it's really not. And I showed her a picture and she's like, no, it's not. It's a guy. He's like, he looks like he's the, a really um, bald, you know, like Mr. Like Clean, gruff kind of yeah, English. Yeah. And he's an Englishman too. So you yeah. know that he, a bald Englishman, he could totally well, kick your like ass. China, so. I mean, clearly, clearly, uh, he's gotten tough. Anyway, City in the City, um, nominated for a Hugo Award, um, for, uh, you know, best sci-fi novel of the year. And, uh, three of us have read it. So Scott, you may have to be the referee on this one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's a it's a fascinating book, and I know that I, I, I Glenn actually primed the pump for me a little bit with this one because he he um, declared before I had started it that he wasn't sure it was sci-fi or not, but that it was great. And so I went in reading it, and I I read the whole thing, sort of trying to detect whether I thought that it was truly um, science fictional or whether it that was all just in my head, and and that it could all be explained kind of uh kind of normally so so i mean the premise here is that there are these two cities that are actually this sorry scott uh that are actually the same city but they're consensually um they don't see each other or they try not to see each other so they're kind of overlaid in terms of geography but for political reasons they 
um, are two separate cities with two separate geographies, even though they're overlaid. Um, is that or did I? No, it's not like that at all, Jason. That's not what the book's no, about. No, I completely they misread it. Operate, they they <laughs> occupy two slightly different vibrating planes in space. Yeah, well, it is sci-fi then, isn't it? Crap, well, I totally or, misread or, that book then. Or is it? I would I would argue it's a it's a mystery in some ways too. Well, it is. A, it is a police. You know, it's a murder yeah, it's mystery, a, it's right? A procedural. Oh, it's a procedural. Yeah. So if set it, in a, if, set in a very interesting environment. If it were only set in 1800s New York City, I totally <laughs> would have read it already. <laughs> New York City and New Jersey occupy the same point in space uh, in that book. Well, I mean, I don't know. The experience I had when when reading this was, um, and I read it a while back, so my, I might be a little fuzzy. Um, but I think I very vividly remember the first few pages where you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on um, in terms of this world because you're right. just kind of thrown into it. Right. It doesn't and, explain yeah, it. Yeah. You're, right, bam. And, and you, you have to start putting it together and seeing like you, you're so we're seeing it through the, the, the eyes of the protagonist who is a police inspector and he's so accustomed to this, this consensual agreement that, um, you know, we don't see the people from the other city um, that, you know, as as someone who is like, you know, we're we're basically tourists in this in this strange uh, realm, and so we're kind of uh, you know challenged to to figure out what's going on from the perspective of someone who has always lived there, and thus you know is perfectly you know in tune with this whole idea. Yeah, I will make the provocative statement that one that it that the book rewires your brain as you read it. Um, <gasps> Sorry, and was, and to follow up, I think the best science fiction or the best science fiction for me that I like are books that try to rewire your brain while you're reading them. And if them is one of those yes. to some yeah. extent, this certainly is that like as I'm reading the book and I'm I'm getting the perspective from I think it's Theodor or something like that, like a Theodor, Theodor, right? yeah. and uh, I'm getting his perspective. And as I try to see it through his eyes, my head is kind of doing this. Well, I can't really think that way. I'm like, okay, I've almost got it. And you know, then I'll think, wait a minute, it can't be quite that way. And then Mivel brings up something that's, um, you know, you have an objection. Well, dogs can't see this, pets can't see this, and in passing, he'll explain how that works, or wolves, or children. Well, children will be violating this all the time. Then he explains how there's exceptions. And you're like, well, who would enforce such a relationship? And then, oh, well, there's another party that comes out. So he keeps, he almost anticipates as your brain is has rewriting its own ability to perceive this world that's being invented around you. Um, you know, he just keeps throwing in the, the explanation you need almost the time you need it for it to make it's sense. Kind of, it's kind of like a literary equivalent of like an Escher painting, right? <laughs> yes. Where you're like, you're staring at it. And it looks like one thing. And then as your brain sort of like adapts to the strange geometry that's going on there, it looks like it starts to look like something else. So you start to get an idea like, oh, this isn't all that's going on here. Okay. Yeah. That staircase connects there, but it also is like upstairs and downstairs at both times. I, I think I might say it's more like a stereogram where, where mm. you're, you're, you're staring at it and then suddenly something pops out of it and you go, oh, Oh, I see. Because it's really occupying the one space, but it's not. There's more there than you're seeing, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe yours was better than mine. When I read but- it a second time, the thing was funny is I thought, okay, well, the second time, this is like whenever you read a murder mystery, okay, I know who did it. So I know the conceit here. I'll read it a second time and it will snap into a clearer relief. And it did not. It is still, in <laughs> fact, it's even worse because I could see all the stuff that he hid that you only can pick up on subsequent readings where there's even more traces of ambiguity. It's like, oh, my. 
you know, heavens. It's, so, um, so, um, unlike Anathem with, which, which sets you down in a world that is clearly not our own and with a lot of terms that you have to learn with the city in the city, it's plausibly our world. It's a country you don't really recognize in Eastern Europe and, yeah. you know, you don't really know. But then he starts dropping the verbs on you that people are unseeing things. And, yeah, and you're like, what does that mean? And, and is this fantastical? Yeah, is cross hatching, this... alter, all these things. Yeah, gross topically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... And so, and so, you end up um, trying to decrypt all of this and unpack it. And you're right; it, it is like the. I think any any good novel, it, it's like the novelist is trying to hack into your brain, and um, and a novel is a machine that is designed to to work on your brain and work on how your brain processes the information it's given. And this does that in a in a really interesting way. And, and when you get to the point in the novel where where there is the you get introduced to the concept of the breach and what the breach is which is essentially the police who are making sure that you don't violate this consensual hallucination about the two cities being separate when they're not um that um that for me that was when when the thing really started to ramp up is that the, the, throwing in that third actor which is the 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 patroller of the of the borders and for me that's the the central question with the city in the city about if it's science fictional or not is what is the breach um and on twitter we mentioned this um and we were all talking about it on twitter and that's sort of where the idea for this podcast came from and i had somebody say oh no it's the breach is totally explainable as just the uh, you know the 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 conjunction of the two cities and um and it's not science fictional at all. And yet when you read the description, and maybe Glenn, since you've reread it, um, when you read the description of the breach and how bre the breach appears and what they do and how they seem to know what's going on, you're led to believe that it's this, this almost supernatural kind of force. And that's great up to the point where he's led into the offices of the breach mm -hmm. and they're like drab, um, not interesting in any sort of way, bureaucratic offices. They're not well, magical well at all. They're kind of Clarkian, right? Like that, that famous yeah. Arthur C. Clarke, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. They seem magical, I think, from the perspective of the people in the city and the other city, um, because they, you know, they have these powers or these technology that is so far advanced that it's not really understood. But I think that you could, I mean, that's how I felt about it anyways. I really felt like uh, these are guys who, are, you know, it's not necessarily magical, but at the same time, they're, they're in possession of some sort of technology that that lends them a magical or a supernatural air yeah there's a bit of this kind of um uh it's only you know to reference another uh neil stevenson book the uh, snow crash one could argue that it's that they're on the border of being neurological or uh, neural programmers that the breach operates because the people who uh, act as the breach are able to manipulate or understand how everyone else has partitioned their minds and that they can walk back and forth between these two cities by changing their own perception. There's this whole, there's all this subtle stuff in the book about the way someone walks, the colors, the, um, the smells. Um, there's this hilarious bit in which, uh, Tiedor, the police officer and his, uh, sergeant has been assigned to him. He takes her to, oh, I forgot the name of the other city. It's, um, I forgot Alcoma. The, yeah. So, uh, uh, wait, what's that? I'm sorry. Is it Alcoma or Il? 
uh, yeah, Ilcoma. Yeah, Ilcoma. He goes the, so he goes to Little Ilcoma in his own city, which is right. like a, a immigrant district from the other city. And his sergeant gets freaked out for a second because she thinks she's not supposed to see it. But there are tells in this immigrant area where the colors aren't quite the same. The smells may be the same. And you're thinking, you know, and as I'm, you know, you're going through the same confusion reading the book about. Wait a minute, this violates every rule that he told me about. But oh no, here's the exception. Um, or when they go through a there's the bit when you transition, just when he's gotten you comfortable with the first city, he um, takes you through to the second one, that you're, uh, that you're suddenly going through this transition. The officer has to go and meet with a counterpart in the other city, and suddenly he has, to, uh, he has to go through classes to learn to unsee and see the right things, and then goes through this transition space that's the same on both sides, and suddenly he emerges in his own city in the other city. Yeah, you basically go into this building that's the agreed upon border point, and then you emerge on the other side of the building, and you're in the. But other you're city. still in the same, same city. Block. Yeah, yeah, it's so, which is I think that's really I agree with you guys that that's the point where like your mind really starts racing <laughs> to catch up, right? Like, oh my god, what is going on? How does he? How do you go from seeing you know seeing and unseeing these things that you have been trained to for all these years to totally inverting that? And I think, you know, he does a great job of of putting us in the shoes then of, you know, the person who feels as now feels like sort of as out of place as we felt coming into the book. So is there anything? Um, what's your verdict? Is there anything um, that we would we would call sort of traditionally science fictional here or is or is the the kind of magic of the city and the city? Just the concept is is such a mind blower, but it's not requiring anything that we don't have in our regular lives today. I I think it's uh I think it's fascinating fascinatingly um in this hazy border. I think he does everything in his power without working hard. I mean that's the most amazing thing I got to say is that the book is really a joy to read. You know, it sounds in some ways like it's like it's um difficult or stressful to read, but it's more like he presents this great story and he just keeps pricking out the edge of the way in which you think about science fiction or fantasy. I mean, he's written previous things like Perdido Street Station is a fascinatingly grimy book. I felt like I had a shower 50 times reading that book because everything is decaying and grimy. But Perdido Street Station clearly is it's, somewhere it's alien, right? Yeah, it's yeah, alien. There's, there's it's science fiction totally fantasy. The, the science fiction or the, the technology has become so advanced. It's, it's uh, magic or there is magic or whatever, but there's clearly something else going on. This stops, you know, many, many degrees short of that. But I, you know, I couldn't tell you when I reread it, someone on Twitter said to me like, well, it's clearly blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, you're an engineer first. And second, there's nothing <laughs> clear about it. Like you have to make a decision. You can make a decision as you start reading the book that this is all in people's heads and this is a political metaphor. But there are points in the book where you're like, wait a minute. The breach officer or breach whatever, maybe not an, I don't know if they're officers, the breach person has this device that doesn't make any sense. But is it just a gun and it looks different? Or the breach can break into any website anywhere in the world, but are they just hackers or do they have super advanced magical sci-fi technology? It's just you never cross the barrier. He doesn't give it away at the end and say, oh, and by the way, it's all science. Yeah. They're aliens. Well, oh. or, 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 hey, Borlu, welcome to the breach. And uh, here's your magical laser. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I like Glenn. I've read, I've read several of his other of of Meadle's other books, including Pertillo Street Station and the two follow-ons to that. Um, and 
I will just say from a from a qualitative standpoint, I mean, like like Glenn says, it's a very different type of book. I would argue that is my favorite of all of his books that I think he does the most fully realized job of creating a setting, which is fascinating because he spends so much time detailing these totally alien settings in Pretty Do Street Station and the other books in those worlds. Um, and yet somehow those never came to life to me so much as the city and the city, as as alien and strange as it is with these two cities overlying each other. Um I, I thought it was fantastic, and it really—I—I I, I don't know that I would put a label on it by saying that it's science fiction, or I mean, if you know, very but, broadly right, speaking, you, you don't could have say to. it's fantasy or something like that. But um, it, it's one of the best things I've read of any genre. And, you know, if you want to define it by a genre, or not define it. it's one of the best things I've read in years. I just—I'm floored by wow. it, and I can't wait to pick it up and read it again. I liked it, and I—I I, I might read it again. Although I have to say, I, I actually voted it second of the six. Um, Hugo Award nominees. It was a, it was a close one, but I placed it second to uh, the Wind Up Girl by Paolo, ba another hard to pronounce name, pa Paolo Basigalupi. I think his name is. Um, and and have any of you read the Wind Up Girl? I have read the Wind Up Girl. Scott, see, oh, remember Scott? Yes. Why was see, Scott I here? Was... Ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> Um, but which before, is before we talk about the wind yes. up girl, I would like to read a one star review on Amazon for the city and the city. I love this. A dramatic okay. reading. Thank you. <clears throat> well, if you're feeling nostalgic for the good old days of those happy Cold War years and long for a divided Berlin, then you might take heart in this novel. Otherwise, steer clear of this mess where the object is to beat around the bush plot, plot wise for as long as possible. The cool kids might like this writer, but, <laughs> but that's only because they've been told he's cool to like. And that Interesting. Is, that is from uh, David Keith, known as Fur and Tats on Real Amazon. Name. I need um I need a I want a stamp that's called engineer and just stamp it on tw tweets and reviews and hey, Glenn he called you a cool kid what are you I'm, talking about I'm I'm well, so that's not clearly cool. if we're the cool kids this is clearly the situation is totally out of whack yeah, right? yeah something's very wrong here maybe he wrong. maybe he was writing from an alternate view I've, of I've, the novel. I've never even heard of China Meville before reading this book and so I don't have any uh, artist's preconception going into it and uh, you know I didn't know what to expect and it was the first of the six uh, Hugo novels that I read and uh, yeah I liked it and I loved how it was subverting my expectations um, and coming to it completely fresh you know I, I, I can certainly say that the the author's background certainly played no part in it and the only thing i really knew to expect was that it was theoretically sci-fi which even then i was completely subverted by the time i got there um based partially on glenn sort of hinting that that was not the case um, um i so, want to point out one other thing about yeah. the novel it's and this is uh, it's china has a, a predilection for this so you know how george lucas's uh, naming are is horrible george lucas's worst attribute is his it, ability you, to assign horrible horrible what, names you don't and, like elian sleazebago Yes, or media clitoridians and, you well, know. Well, post, post like 1983 or so. Sure. All right. All right. Han Solo, <laughs> great name. Luke Skywalker, great. Everything else. Wedge sucks. Antilles. <laughs> Darth great, Sidious. So that in mind, um, he, uh, China has, Meville has a pitch perfect way of creating these names. Even the names that you read in The City in the City or Perdido Seat Station and his other books, they're always um, they make your brain slide around. Like I've studied German and some Eastern European languages and he gets a name that you're like, that's sort of familiar, but not quite. And it's like dancing around my neurons and it's perfect without assigning a place or a, a thing to it. Yeah, I, I agree. Borlu, 
Uh, I, I love how Eastern European and sort of <laughs> Bulgarian or or Romanian it is. It's just this kind of drab drab name for a man in a probably a drab coat who's <laughs> got to solve crimes in a drab city. That's right. Uh, that's happens to be geographically contiguous with a bright city. Interesting. Um, Wind Up Girl by Paolo Basigalupi, I think. Um, Scott, uh, you know, this is a, uh, you haven't read The City in the City, but I mean, this is a, the one that got my vote for first place for the Hugos. It's a, it's a real kind of dystopian, uh, it's set in, in Thailand in the 21st, late, mid to late 21st century, 22nd century, and sort of oil, all the oil is run out and everybody is like using elephants or, or like DNA reconstituted mammoths to drive big sort of like wheels to charge up springs to generate energy because there's no energy left and they're like gene altered people. Um, it's definitely uh, a dark, dark, dark book, isn't it? it? It is very dark. There's, there's a, a constant food shortage due to genetic, uh, runaway genetic, uh, mutated viruses and plagues uh so they call uh there are american companies seemingly that stockpile genetically altered foodstuffs that they send to other countries that cannot be grown uh so that people can't grow their own food so that they are dependent on these countries to supply the calorie the calorie companies exactly and the calorie men from the calorie companies uh and apparently uh what was it someplace the netherlands was destroyed in a a (laughs) conflict over their seed bank um, yeah, or, or I think that's the I think that's actually the, Sweden, Sweden and Norway. It's where there actually is a, a genetic seed bank, and they, and they destroyed it in a in a war over the trying to get the seeds out. And there's a, apparently a seed bank in in Thailand that that the calorie man is trying to get, and he's posing as a uh, industrialist. Uh, and there are zeppelins, and I have to say um, that that should be a checklist for every sci-fi uh, or fantasy novel: is are there zeppelins in an, in a city setting? Because right. um, zeppelins check. All right. I mean, I'm sold if there are zeppelins. And that's why you that that's why I got your vote, right? That's right. It was the zeppelins. That's what pushed it over the edge for me. Is <laughs> that there was airships? They do it every time. Air, key airship plot points. Yes, it's true. No, it was a really good book. I also read. He wrote a young adult book called uh, Shipbreakers, uh, set in the same universe, which I actually thought was better. Um, huh? But that's just because I have a a low reading comprehension. Uh, You're not one of the cool so, kids. I'm not one of the cool kids. So I was like. Whatever, um, but I did wind find. Up, wa- oh, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Wind Up Girl is it is dark. It is um, uh, it's political. It's it's a it's an ecological kind of uh, political message about the you, here's the logical uh, logically what will happen if there's uh, global warming you know washes away. I mean the 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 city in in wind up girl is is holding on by a thread because it's got dikes everywhere and when they give out it's going to flood and so there's that and there's this whole idea of genetically modified food and so there's all this all this kind of politics and extrapolation which i love in sci-fi and quite frankly i don't actually even care about the politics i love i love the fact that it's an extrapolation of like well if if we take this to be true what might that mean and that's what i got out of the wind up girl was this really interesting kind of mishmash of all of these sort of 
trends that you could you can see today and where do they go um and, and they go to a really dark place in the, in this case and it doesn't have to be that way but that's the, the direction he chose to go in and you know none of the characters you can really bank on for for um to survive the book which i i, I like <laughs> and in fact you think you've got kind of a rotation of viewpoint characters going and then all of a sudden um one of them isn't there anymore and there's a replacement viewpoint character and you're like it's, oh okay holy it, i've never that's fascinating i don't think i've ever heard of that as a mechanism where like you have a new person the the new point of view yeah, wow, without giving too much without giving too much away, I, it's enjoyable that you've got one of these viewpoint characters who who uh, like gets pushed off a building and and his deputy is now the viewpoint character because he's gone and That's although true. his ghost his ghost speaks to her whether he's real or imagined yeah we don't know if it's a real ghost or not and and as I was reading that scene I was like he's not gonna kill this character and he totally. can't possibly kill this character <laughs> i think this is a sci-fi convention thing to talk about too is that there are novels you know like uh, a novel in which uh the character is an adolescent at the beginning and end is called a juvenile right isn't that the like any genre isn't that the case um even if it's an adult novel it's got a juvenile it's a juvenile right so there's there's this thing like does all do all the characters or most of them die at the end of the novel or before the end of the novel and there's a real predilection in sci-fi to kill everybody i read a book the other day it was so depressing i can't even remember the title i'll never read anything by in that vein by that author again because everybody dies like literally everybody dies at the end i'm like what in god's name is this? So not the, it, it could have been the wind-up girl actually oh, <laughs> oh, oh, many, oh. not no, everybody no. not everybody dies in the wind-up girl just you many many people doing die. that though is uh george r r martin because oh. he's frequently like still off uh viewpoint characters like he gets them into situations where it's like you know, if you've read any sort of, you, you know, if you're familiar with any sort of drama, you're like, oh, it's the impossible situation. Wow. How are they going to get out of this? And then they <laughs> no, don't. They don't. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, huh. yeah, I have those. And so I saw someone ask him about that once at a, a convention and he's like, yeah, I like to keep people on their toes. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just finished the third of those, of those, uh, Song of Ice and Fire books. And, um, in the middle of it too, not even at the end, in the middle of it, one of these Two of these characters that I that I expected would survive. Certainly, one of them who had been a viewpoint character since almost the very beginning. And uh, no, they're both dead in about four pages. Oh they're my just, goodness! They're yeah. just dead. And he likes to he likes to kill people. Wow. Off. That said, that said, nothing. You know, it's fantasy. It's like you know, fantasy and sci-fi and comic books, right? Nothing's ever forever. Yes. Well, but, I, I read uh, the last, and then you get to the end of that book, and you find that that's true. <laughs> yeah, um, but at the same time, I think you know. There is something to be said for that, you know, reality aspect of getting characters into situations where, you know, it's not like a ridiculous escapade where they escape. But in fact, you know, there are casualties, right? I mean, I guess that's a certain type of writing and you've got to be sort of signed up for that when you, when you go into it. But I mean, I think it's a I, right. I sort of relish that, not because I like you know, killing characters off, but like because it gives you real fear, right? For all the rest of the characters, you know, the characters you really come to care about because you're like, oh, my God, you know, they could conceivably die. You know, it makes you very invested in, in making in, you know, in, in the whole storyline that's going on there. And I think that there, there's something to be said for that. The um, uh, let's see now I've I've lost my train of thought. Um, Glenn, one, uh, another another novel that you mentioned that you've read recently and we're raving about is um, For the Win by Cory Doctorow. Yeah, uh, and I, I would I was interested in hearing um, what you thought about that. I, I I read Little Brother, and while I admired 
the sort of technique that he used and some of the plot points, I actually despised the book because I thought it was such a uh, just ridiculous lecture uh, that it was like a download of a manifesto in novel form. And it really got on my bad side. So so is For the Win going to make me hate Cory Doctorow more or less? <laughs> well, I didn't read Little Brother because I had the feeling it was a uh, polemic in novel form. Yeah, and in young adult novel form, so that so that teenagers will find out why how important it is to um, compile your own code I, from I, source. I wouldn't entirely <laughs> agree with Jason, but I mean that said, I I mean I liked the book. I, sure, I, I mean it's, as an adventure, it's kind with, of fun. Yeah, I mean I I know you know that's tough, right? Because you know Corey's politics going into it, and he's not one to ever hold back from that kind of thing. I read a hard um, a hard SF story. He he had two Hugo nominees last year, and one mm-hmm. was Little Brother, and one was this hard SF story that he wrote that was great. It was so great, and I think in the end I realized it was because if if it was political, it wasn't political in that sort of polemic, uh, you know, lecturing kind of feeling that I got from from well, Little Brother. Well, if you ever go read Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom, yeah. which is also right, which is also very good. And is also shies away from that his sort of political leanings, but I mean I think he's a talented writer and he's a he's a smart guy. Um, and you know I I know that there's a lot of you know his work is also very very divisive in that regards because of the politics. I think. Yeah, I don't even. I, I mean, I I tend to I don't. I think he's an extremist, and I generally yeah. s- agree with sort of what he's about, but not to the extreme that he takes it. And I, but I I don't mind. I don't mind having a political statement. I mean, obviously, uh, The Wind-Up Girl is a deeply political book. Um, as a sci-fi novel, it's incredibly political, but I didn't mind it because it was about, it was all kind of infused in the setting. And, um, whereas, uh, Little Brother <laughs> was just, you know, he, there were whole chapters that were like, he, well, he took his Xbox and he, he <laughs> used the open source kernel to create the encrypted network. So that, and it's just like, oh my God, it, it, it's, it's not, there's, it's just all artifice. There's no art there at all. Kind of sounds like, uh, Atlas Shrugged, only completely different, but <laughs> <laughs> Atlas, Atlas Coded. Yes, um, Atlas wept. Well, I, you know, having not read Little Brother, I can't address that. Although, you know, Corey is an extremist, and he's and he's unapologetically, you know, in favor of certain things, regardless of the consequences. But I, I think for the win, I say for the win, for the win, because it is much more like Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom, uh, and it's got a, it, you know, first off, it's a rollicking good story. Like it's it's a story that spools itself out in a really interesting way, taking place across, I don't know, four continents. All the protagonists just about are uh, teenagers. There are a few adults involved. And it is an insight into a world that Corey understands quite well. And he clearly sought expert help to tell the story correctly in places he didn't know. So there's a lot of stuff about multiplayer, worldwide multiplayer games, games that he's invented for the book, but that have a close resemblance to games out there. So is it set within and without? Is it set sort of in a game world and in the real world or is it both or one or the other or it's more like the description of a um of a well you know actually this is based on a, a story he wrote um i'm blanking on the name of it, little anya or something it's a, a a short story where he's changed he's kept some of the things the same it's it's mostly outside the game world there's not a, much of a sense of being in the game world all the time um the game world is used for political organizing and you know that sounds very polemical oh, no. but, but i know this is what's funny is <laughs> no. i'm reading the book and the book starts with like these great narrative elements he's i interviewed cory a few weeks ago for an article i'm writing about 
crowdfunding. And I said, Corey, I just read For the Win, and I'm unclear when you actually transform yourself into a 17-year-old uh, Indian girl. At what point in your life did that occur? Because he writes with um, he writes from the perspective of, of Chinese, American, uh, uh, Indian, and even like other cultural uh, uh, youth. And he writes in a way that feels like it has a great degree of verisimilitude. It's not like what people think their lives are like. It's much more what, from my reading at least, um, their lives are actually like. He doesn't hide the grit, the danger, the tedium, the, you know, and all that, but it's still a very good, strong story. Now, in this is again going to sound ridiculous. In the middle of this, he explains how things like credit default swaps work. And I, I know that sounds like it would be boring and polemical, and it is not. It's very entertaining because he's weaving this story about this sort of rise of a new working class um, that's oppressed. And he's telling it through the voices of all these very, very interesting people and events that we're familiar with, you know, uprisings put down in China and the shifting of labor and gold farming. You know, if you know, if you follow this at all, there are thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people worldwide whose entire occupation in very poor conditions is to go into these multiplayer, massive multiplayer online games and uh, do tedious tasks to make gold that then is sold in-game to players for real money through various means. And some games tolerate it, some do not, but there are ways around it. And I think that's the core is this like real world situation that sounds ridiculous, but there are millions and millions of people I believe, I think this is documented now, engaged in this profession. You know, they're working in sweatshops uh, 12 hours a day or whatever to farm in game. And so it, it would be science fiction if it weren't actually real. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, that sounds like such yeah. a science fictional premise. And yet it's it's true. There, it's the arbitrage of the developed world versus developing world is that is that there's uh, and the Internet leverages the ability for the developing world to use its incredibly cheap labor to produce a result that would be unbelievably marginal in the developed world. Like, I'm not going to put 12 hours in for the equivalent of one dollar um, and to make, you know, to be paid that and to make ten dollars for my employers. And that's possible in China and India and some other places. So, you know, I think the story is very enjoyable. The, you know, I'll tell you the brief narrative without giving anything away is that. It's basically gamers all over the world, some of them gold farmers, some of them more interested in the gameplay, wind up feeling um, like compressed and betrayed and as if they could have a voice and don't, and they develop essentially a worldwide workers network that allows them to try to push for like unionization and other things. Again, this sounds so polemical, but it's a really fun story. It doesn't get overwrought and he mixes in economic education in a way that is totally natural because he's trying to explain to both me as someone who's a very technical person, but not a gamer um, and to other people who are not involved in the world at all. He's trying to explain how the game economy works in terms of the real economy, as opposed to the real economy in terms of game economies. Wow. You, Glenn, you're going to make me read more Cory Doctorow. I'm going to curse you for that. It's very fun. I, I got through the book. I was reading it like it was on fire because it was just, it, it is a rollicking good read and you'd understand credit default swaps afterwards. Wait, wait, wait. Is, is reading it like it's on fire the opposite of like, I couldn't put it down because it like those are the same thing you'd be in the last well, I hurry up and read it before it burns down. Is that, is that it? You got to read it fast before I think it burns it's, away? It's as if the pages were burning away as I read them, I was reading it so fast. There, there is a market that Corey would probably oppose. Books that incinerate. <laughs> well, he'd argue that any ebook with DRM is essentially a burn after reading uh, thing. And well, you're don't you know the DVDs that self destructed? Yes, the, the old DivX, the old yeah. DivX. Yeah. yeah, consumers yeah. really wanted those. Oh, yes. yes, I, I, uh, I love that Corey. Uh, 
talks the talk though he uh and but he also walks the walk that like down down the magic kingdom i actually have had sitting on my kindle for a while now because he just makes that available as a free download in it's a, Mobi it's, a, it's a very good book i mean I, I read a paper copy of it so it didn't you know paper catch in flames <gasps> as i as i read it um but it's got some really interesting ideas in it and uh it's just it's set in disney world and it's just it's kind of crazy and and fun and i i think that so far is the favorite my favorite of the things that he has written uh, not little brother Little brother, I, I like little brother, but I mean, I you know, at the same time, you know what I I'm think, saying about the how preachy it is, though. No, I, I totally get that. I mean, like, I don't, I don't. That's not necessarily something that I'm cognizant of because you know, I knew going, like I said, I knew going in. This is Corey. You know, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. You know, for his political stuff. Um, but you know, I still think the story is interesting, and I think the characters are cool, and you know, there is a sure. kind of, you know, it is kind of your typical like. I, what I like about it is that it's one. It's like your typical movie where it's on the run from you know the man, and um, only it's you know it's a, like a teenager you know instead of you know like Shia LaBeouf or whatever. Um, but it's it, you know it's got it's got that great like sort of caper feel to you know to it. And, and the only difference know, is that the man the man over. is the man is is a government who's claimed that these people who are on the run are terrorists even though they didn't do anything. And so you've got that. I, I think the message that. You know, that a lot of these things that seem innocuous end up, uh, could end up being used to completely deprive you, de- deprive you of your liberty. And that teenagers might want to know that before they're yeah. so cavalier about it is a great <laughs> message. My problem was more that, um, occasionally the novel would stop and set you down and explain why it was a very important right, thing yeah. for you to care. And that it's just like, oh my God, Corey, let's Corey keep never, going. Corey the, like you said, he's an extremist and he's the kind of guy who never quite like, quite never, never quite addresses the issue of, yeah, but what if they don't use it for that? Right. That's why it's like that's kind of left hanging sometimes. It's speculative fiction. He's speculating oh, that all technology will be used against us. Which that's, you know, you know, it could happen. I, I, it it is know, happening. I, going by my toaster. <laughs> going by my toaster, it happens every morning. Hey, tech reporter hat. Google is now evil, so all bets are off. <laughs> it could. It could happen. Um. I thought I would, uh, in addition to, uh, we'll, we'll assign some reading, but we'll do that offline. I, I'd love it if we could like all agree at some point to read something soon and uh, and discuss it. Can, we, that might can, be... I, can I can I suggest something since we're still like establishing a format? Sure, there um, is no format can, as the re- yeah, listeners no, 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 have I, discovered already. I was going to suggest, and I know Glenn already brought up for the win, but like perhaps you know the rest of us on here might suggest a book. That's you know. a good idea. I was going to start with what are you reading, and then perhaps we can suggest a book after that. Absolutely, you're you're in charge. You're the boss. So boss. so no, I'm really not. Um, you, what, you really are my boss. I'm the agi- I'm the agitator, and on this podcast, I'm not the boss. Um, now do what I say and tell me what are you what are you reading, Glenn? Are you reading something right now? I- I well, I uh, just finished recently a book recommended by put, Corey Doctorow. Put it down. You're supposed to be on a podcast. Why are oh, you reading right I'm now? Sorry, it's because his book more. is burning. He has to read <laughs> it before it turns into They don't burn themselves. Come <laughs> on. Self-flagellating books. Uh, the uh, this is a book suggested by Corey Doctorow on the Boing Boing blog, and I immediately got out of the library surprisingly. And um, it bitter seeds. And the the synopsis is: I just uh, read it. I think I finished reading it a couple weeks ago. And um, it's Nazi Superman who are really Superman and super powerful beings that are evil that are sort of helping us during World War II. So it's it's entertaining, but a little crazy, and it gets crazier as the novel goes on. I'd say ultimately disappointing, but very interesting, well-written, um, fascinating, and sort of becomes more comic booky as the book goes on. Wow. 
I haven't even heard of that. Who's the author? Uh, it's Rumbleflumble. It's okay, uh, excellent. Wait, I have. I've entire, read something by him. On. He sucks. He's terrible. Let me consult the this entire. This must be much better. <laughs> He's from the written, city in the city. I think it's written by Google. Still loading. Ian Tregillis is his name. All right. Who um, I believe has written uh, previous books. I think this has gotten more play than some of his earlier novels. Uh, it's yeah, but it's uh, you know everyone wants to believe that uh, the Nazis had actual Superman, not just big brawny blonde people. So I want to believe that. Yes, we all we all want Nazi Superman, but he's actually done something about it. But what what if there were? <laughs> what if there were? Uh, Dan, what are you reading? Uh, I'm currently reading. Uh, I set aside. I was uh, part of the way through uh, a nonfiction book. Michael Lewis is the Big Short, which is very good, but huh. outside the realm of this podcast. Um, <gasps> yes, and I set it aside to read uh, uh, because I got out of the library, and so I only have a week to read it, which is like stupid it's on library. Fire. <laughs> it's like DRM, See, that's why li- libraries. It's like it's, on, it's like it's on fire. Um, You're chained to the uh, library, man. A book called Tongues of Serpents, which is uh, the sixth book in uh, a series by a woman named Naomi Novik. Um, which basically is predicated on this this premise of it's the Napoleonic Wars and ships are fighting. You oh, know, the there's these huge naval battles, but there are also dragons. I've gotten um, addicted to this series too. I picked up the first one. I think it was free as a Kindle book from Amazon. Right, the that's, first that's what they do. Is the first first book oh. is free in a series <laughs> that publishers have realized that if they can get you hooked on a free book one. Then the rest of them will follow. I read uh, so the thing. Wanna, it sounded it, preposterous to me. And I read it and I'm like, this is darn good. It makes me actually believe clever. there could be dragons during the Napoleonic Wars. I mean, Wars. because basically the way that they organize it is, is, is a, the dragons are basically, there have always been dragons. The dragons are basically used as like the aerial core, like the, like it's like World War One dogfights, except they're on dragons instead of in planes. But the set during the Napoleonic Wars. So if you want like the high concept log line, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, you know, dragon uh, dog fighting. It's like, it's like Horatio Hornblower <laughs> meets Anne McCaffrey. I, wow. Oh my God. That is and a, it's in the um, Napoleonic Wars, which means Scott will like it because it's historical. Exactly. I actually, <laughs> but, I, mean, I, I, will, I bought the first three of those in paperback and I haven't read them. Yeah. Well, she came out, this was kind of weird because the first three were released as trade, as mass market paperbacks all oh. at the same time. Cause I guess she had all, she had written the three of them oh my God. beforehand. She's now up to the sixth one. I, I have to say, I think she gets interesting threads as the series goes on. Um, because I think the, the dragons in this world are all like, not just, you know, sentient, but like, pretty darn intelligent like they can all they're all got like facilities for languages and and stuff like that so that there becomes a very interesting issue of do they have rights you know what is the sort of you know uh, how should they be treated should they be treated like animals should they be treated like people um and it does what's kind of also cool is that she totally spans the globe with the adventures they they start you know in sort of england napoleonic wars and then they span out to africa and china and in this most current volume australia um and she's got a great ear for the dialogue and the settings are fantastic. I do think that her plots have started to lose a little bit of thread. And I think she said there's a, she has ideas for a couple more books, but I, I'm hoping that she sort of wraps this up and moves on to something else. Cause I think she's been immersed herself in the Napoleonic Wars for long enough. Haven't we all? And Scott, <laughs> Scott, what are, uh, what are you reading? Uh, well, speaking, I'm not reading this currently, but it involves dragons, so I will mention it very briefly. Uh, dragons, dragons, dragons. The, uh, the Adamantine Palace, uh, is a, a really good book about, uh, it's a fantasy book, and it's basically these people kind of enslave the dragons and drug them up so that they are docile and 
no longer can control themselves and can be ridden, and it, it follows the path of one dragon who kind of gets free of this and regains its intelligence. So check that out. But I'm reading right now uh, a book called, Jason, you will like this, uh, The Dream of Perpetual Motion, and uh, the narrator is imprisoned in a zeppelin hovering above a city. (laughs) Sorry, check. (laughs) I'm sorry, say that last one again. You're making this up right now, aren't you? I am not. And the the zeppelin is powered by a perpetual motion machine that may or may not be failing. Uh, And and he describes, that's how it starts, and then he describes how he got to where he is. Um, And it's very interesting. It's steampunky, if anyone likes steampunk. Um, ah, yes. And we should talk uh, perhaps in another installment about um, Bone Shaker, which I know, Scott, you and I have read that is steampunky as well. That it has plus zombies. I was going to say plus zombies. Plus zeppelins. Yes. Zombie plus zeppelin equals I, yeah. I'm for somebody to do a steampunky Brewster. And really, once that's done, <laughs> steampunky Brewster's millions, actually. <laughs> that's oh. what we need. That best crossover ever. It's, <laughs> um, I, yeah. I'm sort of this genre thing is certainly, you know, this is, I, I had a, a interregnum, I think, where I didn't read sci-fi much for years. I read some classics in the last several years. I've started to read quite a bit of it again. And um, it, there's like all these new genres, like steampunk was, I mean, there was sort of, you know, there was sort of cyberpunk and there was, um, I mean, Bruce Sterling was writing steampunk in like 1995, right? right. The, in, but like the, the difference engine, but like steampunk is like, you know, totally au courant. And then there's the new weed which uh, uh, Meville falls into, but there's a ton of other authors writing that. And then there's like these sort of revenge of the golden age kinds of things that are like super hard science or super non-hard science. So it seems like there's a, like this flux. There must be more readers demanding more different kinds of things for these explosion of new genres. But, you know, we'll always have Zeppelins and revisionist World War II Nazi fantasies. Well, so that's yes. true. We'll, we'll always have Zeppelins is definitely the name of this episode. I was going to say <laughs> Steampunky Brewster's Millions, but I think you're right. <laughs> well, so Jason, Jason, let me turn it back to you. What are you reading? Oh, yes. um, I... So I just finished um, that third book in the George R. R. Martin sequence. So I have a feast for crows next. But you, given you know, how no, slow, ration, exactly, ration this is slowly. it. This is it. <laughs> given how slow he is at writing those, and that it'll probably be another year before the next one is out, I'm just going to let it sit there until well, I'm maybe, at a low maybe point. We need a podcast about how fantasy writers take forever between books. Actually, speaking of dragons, um, I'm reading at long last after putting it off for like a year i'm finally reading the girl with the dragon tattoo by steve larson which is not a genre book i and just yet, read that not long ago i myself. just i just read it as well maybe we should have talked about maybe that. we'll talk about that in well, our, i mean in it's our next got podcast, some the geeky mystery podcast that's real mystery and 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 it's got some Thriller. finance in there right and some journalism Thriller. in there and all anyway i'm finally gonna read that uh, i just started reading that and i'm also in the middle of um a science book uh from eternity to here by sean carroll which is about time and how um, we define time and, and trying to figure out why the arrow of time points forward. Why do things hear, happen in uh, one direction and not the other? I hear it's the fire in which we burn. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I was going to say t- it's also an episode, Time Zero, also an episode oh. of Star Trek The Next Generation where, where Data's with head Mark is Twain. buried in San Francisco, where I'm speaking to you. Data's head is here with me now. <laughs> what is um, it reading right now? Poor Brent Spiner. <laughs> Um, we'll oh. always have Zeppelin. So that's what I'm reading. So what should we read next? I actually think that, that, uh, Glenn and, and Dan, you ought to read Bone Shaker. Yeah, um, pick it up. That's right. Which, which is fun. And it's got Zeppelins. It, it, and, like and zombies. Zombies. It's set in the Pacific Northwest. It's set in Seattle. 
Oh, but it's an alternate. But it's an alternate history. Okay, see. Okay, uh, let's check the box here. Jesus Set in Seattle. We need, we need zombies. On the website. We Zeppelins. Have that list. Yeah. Alternate history. Civil War era. Alternate history. Oh, so it's historical, category. but it's alt historical. And I think they may mention New York, so it's okay for me. That reminds me. I mean, yeah. At some point in a future episode, I would love if anybody else has read. Michael uh, Shaban's The Yiddish Police. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's I, I've a read that. that. Have we that's all read that? Fiction. Interesting. That would be something worth talking about. Okay, we're going to put that on the list. That, that we, is science, so we've all read that. It's, it's science fiction. That it's is religious fiction. mystic science fiction subcategory. It's, it's alt history, so it has to be. It is alt history. Yeah, that's indeed. a fascinating, but it's crazy a fascinating book. book. I'll throw that out there. It really Ooh. is. And, and Scott, you've read that too? I have read that. All right, so we that one is like ding. We should have done that today because we've yeah, well, all we've we all back? read that one. Let's go back an hour. Well, and do this well again. yeah, <laughs> we'll just record another. I'm hoping that this podcast will have more episodes and we'll be able once a month or so to talk about about books. So, what should we read next, other than Bone Shakers? Anything you guys want to throw out there that that we or or, or the listeners should uh, should pick I will, up? I will throw out my go to recommendation, which I've uh, I've been recommending to a lot of people. It's the Gone Away uh, World by Nick Harkaway. Indeed, that is my go-to <laughs> recommendation. I bought the what it. What now? The what and the where now? It's a book called *The Gone Away World* by Nick Harkaway, mm. who's a British writer, um, who I actually uh, have had a couple exchanges with on Twitter. He's a very nice guy. He's also the son of John Le Carre, so um, if you like your your thrillers, um, he's he's got a little bit of that going into. But it's a post-apocalyptic novel. Um, that's very i don't know how to describe it other than to say that it's unique i mean what other book that have you run into that has like ninjas and mimes and <laughs> it's a post-apocalyptic world it's it's kind of comedic at times zeppelins um, oh, there's a there's a massive sort of driving <laughs> monstrosity machine but mm, i don't think there's necessarily a zeppelin like a anyways x it's not <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, it's it's one of those books that it, it is is hard to put down once you sort of start to get into it, and it really, it's just it's unlike so much of other stuff that I've that I've read. And it was I think I read it last year, and it was one of my favorite books of last year. Um, and I think it's it comes highly recommended. I don't think I think it's it's flown on under a lot of radars, but I would I would definitely recommend. I must fly it into your radar at my library. Will have a copy for me waiting. Now. Gone away world. I bought it, so I should read it. I, I've had it sitting on my Kindle for a while now. Um, See, they, you you actually feel if you actually have real books, right? You start to feel guilty if they pile up. That's actually why that. I'm why I'm uh, reading Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is it's been sitting on my bookshelf, and my wife's been like, "Come on," because she read it first, and so she, you know we we have these paper books around that she wants me to read, and it's like, "Go oh, paper book." So yeah, I'm 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 reading it. Oh, I'll tell you my, my brief paper. summary of it. it. There's got too much beep beep in it. Yeah, and you can okay. fill those words in later. So so what what should we read next, Scott? Uh, are, are, is everyone here fans of Jasper Ford? Yes. Should I don't I know who that know? is. Oh, Whoa, that what? Is. what? What? This podcast is over. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> Jasper Ford wrote. Oh, in that case, yes. Oh, Jasper Ford, he or she is great. <laughs> he, or it. Or that series. Mother. Or that author. It is an author character. who is a man. Uh, he, he is probably most famous for his Thursday Next books in which the main character Thursday Next is a detective that uh, has to maintain the uh, plot lines of books. So they jump into books and make sure everything's all right. Uh, She's a literary detective. A literary huh. detective. Are there Zeppelins? There, uh, well, the book I am recommending is his latest Shades of Grey, which okay. includes no Zeppelin, sadly. But oh. 
It is a good book, and it, it. But the only downside is it is the first book in a trilogy, which I did not realize until I finished it. So I was and, quite and sad. It turned out to I, be not so finished. Yeah, like like Scott, I read it, and it, it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Mm. <laughs> but it was good. All right, it is good. That's good. I, I I have never heard of of that person, and I will look that up. That's great. So it's um, it's set in a world that is kind of devoid devoid of color, and people are ranked by what colors they can perceive. And there's a company that supplies artificial color. Uh, so check it out. Wow. Glenn, awesome. what, what should we read next? Uh, this is gets us a little off track, but I've been reading Fables, a comic book series. But it's geeky oh, yes. and sort of science fiction. It's fantasy, we'll to, I guess. We may have to invite you into the comic book club segment of this podcast, uh, which, uh, which, which uh, we also are doing. I can't tell whether I In like parallel. fables or it's stupid. It has it lacks. A st- <laughs> I, I read I, I read a volume that of fables. I, have I read a volume of fables about for um for the Hugo Awards. <laughs> I, I and I I think I decided I thought it was stupid. Yeah, I it, there there are moments of real brilliance. And uh, and sort of unique things and some marvelous art in it, but the storyline is um, you know you watch like uh, like The Simpsons at one point was fantastic and they could have an A B C and D stories going on at the same time without losing track of them and Fable is kind of all A story and sometimes the A story is sort of boring. Ah, uh, oh, all right, and uh, that's what we should read next or not read next because well, that's a ringing endorsement. Here's Here's the thing it sounds is, like you uh, want to punish us. Read it and decide for yourself. It's been collected into giant volumes like all graphic novel comic books are these days. So I actually wound up reading most of it. I've read some current issues, but I've read uh, most of it through giant library issued, library bound ah. um, back copies. And it's sort of fascinating. It's an, inter- it's an interesting idea that what if all the fables that have been told are actually real places in an alternate universe? Uh, there are, uh, I don't recall Zeppelins, but there no, are dragons. There are no Zeppelins, but dragons. That's good. That's all. That's like nature's nature's zeppelin, exactly. the dragon. <laughs> it's got the hot air and the flying. Nature's nature's nature's. Um, I'm gonna say if you haven't read this yet, it's it's been out for a few years now. The sequel actually just came out. Um, Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood. Oh, which is a post-apocalyptic Margaret Atwood, who is who who who. Um, it's actually part of it is kind of during apocalyptic, pre and 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 during apocalypse. Um, it's actually two parallel stories um with one character in common and it's one of them is post-apocalypse and one is the events that lead up to the apocalypse and the last chapters are take place in the same location at the moment where the apocalypse is happening and at the kind of climax of the book after the apocalypse is is over and done with which is it's really a well done kind of a and b story where you're flashing backward and forward with this one character um and she you know she's sort of seen as a, a mainstream novelist although she wrote the handmaid's tale um and this is this is out and out sci-fi and um and not kind of phony uh interloper into the genre um i thought it was i thought it was really uh quite well done and it's your your, your typical kind of uh genius who goes too far and causes an apocalypse kind of story but um really really uh imaginative and the world that sort of uh, comes out of the apocalypse is uh is well created as well and now there's a let, sequel to it or a, let, or a let me ask is the uh, is the apocalypse caused by zeppelins um there are sadly no zeppelins either before mm. or after the apocalypse although i think I after think there's the zeppelin the, the zeppelin x no zeppelins. no zeppelins sorry about that i didn't know it was what should we read next with zeppelins i could have come up with something <laughs> for that. 
Bone Shaker. Bone Shaker. I'm back to Bone Shaker again. There are Zeppelins in there and alt history, and I think that's going to have to be uh, one of the things on your reading list. Because how could alt Seattle zombie Zeppelin? It's a quick Civil. read too. It's not uh, it is. not heavy stuff. It's not I'm heavy putting stuff. Putting it in my library request list. It right shoots now, okay? through the progress bar on your ebook reader. It's, it's true. Like, zing! It's gone. It's only like, like two hundred kilobytes. So, so any you know, there's nothing more depressing than downloading a book, especially if you've written a, a novel, as some of us have. Um, to to download it and see how quickly it downloads because <laughs> there's nothing to text files, just like zip, and it's there. It's great if you're a reader. It's like, oh, and look, the book's already downloaded. And if you're a writer, it's like, really, all that work I put into it, and it takes two seconds to download it. Sad. The movie guys have it good. They're, it's terabytes of data. Yeah, you have to wait for it. You have to. You have to savor. Yeah, but books just come zang. There they are. Yeah. Right I, so, sometimes I buy them and just delete them because it takes so little time. Yeah. <gasps> you. That just it pains me right in my right in my chest. I print them out and then <laughs> Set um, them take them to take them. <laughs> From from uh, from atop my zeppelin, causing causing the apocalypse. From atop my zeppelin, and then I throw them off, <laughs> and they they flooded the ground while on fire. Books of fire, a, a delightful uh, fireworks display. Although burning books is generally not, it's frowned upon. Let's, let's not. If recommend the that. books burn no. themselves, it doesn't count. That's right. <laughs> That's Out true. of their greatness. Self immolating. All right. And books. On, on that note, I think that we can call call this a, uh, a a success. We we mentioned many books, proved that we aren't illiterate, and I think we've got a big to do <laughs> list involving zeppelins for the Pro- future. Prove prove that we're not illiterate. Um. Either that, or you're really good fakers. So. I'll I'll mail you something to read out loud next time to prove you're not illiterate. If, if you have a, if you have a Kindle, you can be illiterate because it can read to you. It can read to you. That's, that's true. Right. In a nice, that's soothing true. robotic voice. <laughs> We're back where we start, and it is monotonous. Well, thank you to Glenn and to Dan and to Scott and I'm Jason, and we are the uh, the Geeky Book Club participants for today. Uh, and to you listeners out there, whoever you might be, thank you for listening. <laughs>